following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Paul starts off and he says that uh, he, he's satisfied, he's confident that these Roman Christians know the gospel. And as we said from the very beginning of our study of Romans, that Paul writes and talks about the gospel because not because they're not saved and not because he's writing this to unbelievers, but specifically because he is writing to the church and he's writing to Christians and he's, he, he teaches us through this book and hopefully we pick that up somewhere along the way, the way that the gospel is for believers, that we should be teaching often the gospel as it relates to the life of every Christian. And he says to them, you know, I know you know this stuff. I'm not teaching you new things. And Paul had had uh, uh, exposure, contact with Christians from Rome, most notably Priscilla and Aquila, and he was impressed by them. They were partners with him in ministry, and Paul uh, was struck by their maturity and the solidness of their faith. So he understands a little bit about the church in Rome, that, that it's solid, it's built well on the gospel. But he says also that, um, that he's written boldly on some points as a reminder and he says, I know that uh, we all need to be reminded of these things often, and it's true. Um, we constantly need to be going back and reviewing and reminding ourselves of these core truths of the faith, the gospel. Um, uh, now, the, the issue Paul raises here and what he spends the next few verses we're going to look at talking about is really you know, what business is it of him, of his to be speaking boldly and reminding the church in Rome. And of course the issue is that Paul had never been there. He didn't know them. He was not the pastor of that church. He wasn't the bishop. He wasn't the pope. Uh, he was just a guy to them who had been doing missionary work. So what right does he have to be speaking so boldly to them? Well, Paul takes a little bit of a diversion, and in the next few verses he explains why he has that right, or why he feels he has that right, to uh, speak rather authoritatively to them, uh, even though he has no relationship with them. Um, you know, we all do need reminders, and we need to keep focused on where we are going. Uh, and as Paul outlines his reasons to have authority, what he really highlights is why those reminders are so important, why the focus of our mission uh, the goals and objectives of our life are really important. Now, you may or may not be a person who lives by goals and objectives. Uh, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but some of you may yearly at New Year's or at other times write goals for the year. It's a great thing to do. Others of you may not do that. You may, In fact, some, some of you may be forced to do that by your organizations, right, or by other people, and you may just despise the activity. Well, whether you like it or not, or whether you do it or not, the truth is, we all live according to some mission, right? Our lives uh, can't operate well when it's too random, right? And we all need some sense of purpose and mission in life and something that we focus on. And I think the more intentional we are about that, whether we write them down or whether we just think through it clearly, the more intentional and focused we are about how we live our life, the more meaningful and fruitful it will be. Um, 
You know, have you ever have you ever gotten in a car and just started driving? Uh, and somewhere in the back of your mind, you know where you're going, right? I do this often. Right? I get in, I, I get on autopilot, start the car, push the gas, start driving, right? Uh, one time I was doing this, and I'd actually driven all the way to Lampang, which was good. Okay, it was good. Um, got to Lampang to the big intersection with the giant, you know, uh, kilometer marker, you know, the road marker that's 50, 59 feet tall that says you can drive this way to Singapore, right? So I turned to go to Singapore and stopped at Jejibi, got gas, got another cup of coffee, headed on down the road, right? And I'm on my way to Bangkok. And I go a ways down that road, and Denise is with me. And all of a sudden, I start thinking about where I'm actually going. And it wasn't actually Bangkok. (laughs) I was actually going the other direction to Isan, right? But I just was driving, right? Well, sometimes we need reminders of where are we going? What is the purpose, focus, mission of our life? Well, Paul uh, gives us some great tips on how to do this. Now, as we look at this passage, it's a little tricky because... Paul talks here about his calling as an apostle to the nations, apostle to the Gentiles. Right? And as we apply this passage, we can't apply it directly. Because right? chances are none of us here probably feel or feel in the call as the apostle to the Gentiles. Right? Paul kind of held a corner on that market. He was uniquely called to that. And so as we go through this, we can't directly tr- uh, apply everything like Paul did. Okay? This is not a universal model for ministry. And Paul's not saying here, this is my focus, therefore this should be your focus of everybody. But there are some general principles here that I believe would apply broadly to, to most of us, if not all of us, who follow Christ. And if nothing else, it helps us think through how we think about our own mission and focus. So let's look at this. Um, and, and if you're the kind of person who likes the right goals, you'll probably love this because it's, it's very... Uh, it's, an, it's alliterated, and it'll give you things to do, and, and you'll like this. Others of you who are not that structured, just kind of imagine the story of it all going to an end, okay? Uh, Paul was on a mission, and he was very clear about what he was doing with his life. And so he talks about that through this passage. Um, first of all, he he's, explains to them clearly what his mission was. Right. So if we look at verse 15, he says... He says, on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Okay, that was his mission. Paul knew that he had been called by God for one clear and specific purpose, and that was to bring the gospel to the nations, to the Gentiles, to those who were non-Jews. Right? He says, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Interesting verse, um, strange actually, and uh, it's the only reference in Scripture where where it gets talked about in this language. Let's break it down a little bit and and see what he says here. Uh, First of all, when it comes to our mission... Uh, it's important and critical that we base our mission upon God's call in our life. As I said, Paul alone was called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. I'm, I'm quite confident God has not called you or me to that role, right? But he's called you to something. He has called and appointed you to some kind of mission or ministry. Uh, 
ministry or missions is not something that only full-time vocational workers and missionaries do. It is the calling and task of every believer. And Paul says that not only was he called, but he says that this calling was by the grace given to me. Right? Paul did not become the apostle to the Gentiles because he was super qualified for this job or because he deserved it or because his background, education, and experience suited him for this. Right? Although some of that may be true. Uh, Paul did not apply for this job. Right? God did not put out a, an ad in the classifieds uh, saying he's looking for a, a missionary. Right? I, I think it would be funny to know what that would have looked like. Mediterranean Missions is looking for an industrious self-starter who is highly motivated to be the apostle to the nations. The successful applicant will be hardworking, innovative, and extremely visionary. Must be willing to travel extensively and be willing to pay for all travel expenses out of pocket. The candidate should expect to work a second job to cover expenses and should be prepared to be thrown in jail, whipped, and beaten on a regular basis. And keep a positive attitude in the midst of it all. Hey, I want that job, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I don't think that's how it worked. Uh, Maybe that's why God didn't put it in the classifieds, right? Anybody in their right mind would have run the other direction. Uh, Paul says it was God's grace, an act of work of God's grace that called him to this role. And the truth is that's, that's true for all of us. Right? We are called, we are invited by God to join Him in His work in the world, in ministry. Right? And whether you're a vocational or not vocational, whether you're, whatever role you're in, whatever your job looks like, it is ministry. And God calls us as, as His children in the world to be agents uh, of His work, of His activity, wherever we live and are. And, uh, and God calls us things. He's gifted us. Right? He's given you certain skills and abilities. He's given you spiritual gifts that are by grace, right? that have nothing to do with uh, your own agenda. It's, it's by God's grace and God's purpose. And God calls us to use those gifts and talents and abilities in our life uh, to partner with him and his work in the world. Um, you know, are we real clear about what our call is? Now, when you look at Paul's call, you know, missionary, uh, you know, apostle to the Gentiles. Okay, that's a pretty big call. Basically, you know, I was called to save the world through Christ, right? Big mission field, many countries, right? Uh, most of us may not have a call quite that big, right? And we're suited to each our call. And because it's Mother's Day in many Western countries, um, it's great to feature one of the most important calls of any person in the world is the call to be a mom. Incredibly important and significant ministry. You know, no matter how big and important the Apostle Paul was, more important was his mom, right? Because the Apostle Paul wouldn't have even been where he was if it wasn't for his mom's influence and impact and care in his life, right? Uh, her calling was a very high calling. Paul recognized this, and when he talks about Timothy, he highlights the role of Timothy's mother and grandmother in impacting him for the gospel and in preparing him for ministry. Extremely important role and calling and mission. Nobody should ever say, oh, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. There's no such thing. It is one of the most important jobs and ministries and callings in the world to impact 
a child with the gospel and with the the the, the outworking of Christ in their life. Um, Beyond that, we have lots of other calls and lots of other opportunities to serve, and you may know what those are related to your gift and what God... But you need to know that. And as you think about God's mission, it always has to be in terms of your individual specific call that God has put in your life. And if you've never done that, you need to take a moment and pray and seek scriptures and say, God, what have you called me to do? How have you called me to be engaged in working in ministry with you? Uh, Whatever it is in terms of its outworking, I think uh, Paul would say that at the core of that mission, at the core of that calling, would be being a minister of the gospel. Or as he uses the phrase here, a strange phrase, he calls it a priest of the gospel. Uh, Only time in the New Testament these words are put together like this very unique concept for Paul who does not use the concept of priest very much. He says here, he says, we've been called to be, uh, by the grace of God given to be, to be a minister of Christ Jesus. The word minister there is the word we get liturgy from. And it had the idea of somebody who was involved in temple service. Okay, the ministry within the temple. So that's the context of the picture he's painting here. And then he goes on to say, in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Um. The mission of every believer, I believe, is to be ultimately a minister of the gospel. That's funny. We call pastors, you know, oftentimes pastors or missionaries will introduce themselves. I'm a minister of the gospel. Good, it's a good title, a good word, good phrase. But it's not limited to those who are professionals, okay? Vocational ministers of the gospel. I think it's really a calling of every believer in Christ. Okay, our calling, our mission, ultimately is to be gospel-centered and gospel-focused. Um, and uh, the reason I believe that we can expand this beyond just Paul here is because of what Peter writes in, in 1 Peter. 1 Peter says this, he says, You are all, as believers, living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Uh, Um, Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you are offering spiritual sacrifices that please God. All of us are called to what we call in Christian terms the priesthood of the believer. Thankfully, it doesn't mean we have to wear robes and stay single. (laughs) What it means, though, is you're called to a certain kind of ministry, a certain role as a priest. Uh, Of course, this looks back to the Old Testament. What was the role of an Old Testament priest? What was their function? Well, they were basically a mediator who stood between God and man. And that mediation went two directions. First of all, they mediated God's grace towards people. So they were the agent of bringing in God's mercy and grace to sinful, lost people. And they would do this by offering the the sacrifice of atonement. They, through their ministry, would, would cover the sins of the people. Well, of course, our true fulfillment of that, the true priest is Christ who by his blood bought our atonement. He has covered our sins. But that's mediated. That's Paul says that's passed on through people. So we introduce Christ to people. We proclaim his forgiveness in his blood to those who don't know him. We bring his forgiveness into their lives. Right. So we're mediating God's grace through the gospel. 
Okay. The other role of the priest was, was going the other direction, was to mediate the offerings, the thanksgiving, the praise, the worship of the people towards God. So there were atonement sacrifices, but there were also off, uh, sacrifices and offerings of thanksgiving. And the burnt offering falls in that category. And it was a gift that the, the worshipers would bring, and they would offer, and some of it would be burned on the altar, and they would eat the rest, and it was a celebration of thanksgiving. Uh, the worshiper couldn't give that offering themselves. They had to bring it to the priest, and the priest was the one who mediated it, who offered it to God. Right? Well, Paul pictures himself in that role. because I'm a priest of the gospel. On one hand, I am bringing the good news to people who need it. I am mediating God's grace to those who desperately need his grace. At the same time, I have a unique role as people come to Christ, as they uh, follow and serve him, to mediate their, their offerings back to God. Right? Um, and I believe that, uh, given what Peter says and given other places in Scripture, that this is a universal calling of all of us to be priests of the gospel. Right? We are ones who, who are involved in this work of mediating God's mercy and, and man's worship. Right? And we're all to be involved in this work in some way or another. Um, and the way this looks in real life, you may, you may be called to be a teacher or an administrator. You may be called to be a parent. You may be called to specific ministries like anti-human trafficking or rescuing orphans or helping the poor or some kind of medical uh, ministry, right? But Paul would say that those activities ha- should have one main single focus, and that is the gospel, Right? We, we use those activities as a means to mediate, to bring the gospel of Christ. To bring people the good news of what Jesus did. And through that good news, to make them worshipers of God. Um, now, of course, everything we do can be worship. Okay, now I want to be real careful here, real careful. Every, everything you do does not have to be expressly gospel-centered, right? And uh, washing the dishes is worship. Cleaning bathrooms is worship. Driving your kids to school can be worship. When you, any activity we do can be a gift of praise and worship to God. But in terms of our life mission, okay, uh, I hope your life mission is not just doing dishes, right? as good as that is. Uh, hopefully your, your mission is something a little more focused, right? Well, Paul would say that the, the driving force of our mission, the, the end target that we're shooting for, should be the gospel, right? It should be the work and outworking of Christ bringing to us salvation and redemption and restored relationship with God. Now this, to me, seems like kind of a no-brainer and a simple answer, but the, the reality is, as I've worked and talked with many people and as we, uh, with our foundation, with the Family Connection Foundation, have um, had people request to come under our foundation... Uh, for us, one of the questions we ask is, you know, in whatever activity you're doing, how does that activity end at the gospel, right? Well, it's mind-boggling to me that some people would say, well, it doesn't, right? We don't do that, okay? We just do the social activity, and we don't worry about the gospel stuff. Well, we kindly invite those people to go somewhere else, because for us, if it's not gospel-focused... It's really not Christian in the end. It's social, right? Tacking Jesus' name on it 
or saying it's a Christian ministry, if it doesn't end at the gospel, really isn't Jesus' ministry. Right? Jesus came, gave his life, died on the cross. Okay, he paid the ultimate price for sin and suffered terribly, right? He didn't do that just to have his name tacked on organizations that don't point to the cross, right? It would be really a slap in the face of Jesus' work in life, right? Okay, everything must be, in the end, taking people to the cross and to his work. Um, And of course, um, yeah, I'll stop there. Like this could be a real soapbox for me, but I'll, I'll leave it there. Right? And again, all things can be worship, right? But when we think through our mission, our calling, right? At some point, we should be saying, "How does this get people to Jesus, to the cross, and to the only hope of salvation in, your, in their life?" Um, and and the reason I think it needs to be about the gospel, if we look at the next phrase, it really helps us understand why it needs to be gospel centered. Uh, Paul says this. He says. To be a minister of the gospel, uh, verse 16 and 17. Um, sorry, let me look up my verse here. Um, to be a minister of the gospel, uh, the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that, okay, here's the purpose of the result, okay? So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Okay, here's, here's a picture that Paul's painting here. He says, I'm a priest, right? put on the priestly robes, I go into the, the courtyard of the temple, the altar is there, and I'm going to be uh, offering up an offering that will be burnt on the altar, that will be a pleasing sacrifice to God. Well, what is the, what is the offering that Paul is bringing as he mediates from man back towards God worship? What is the offering that he presents on the altar? Well, the Gentiles, right? The Gentiles. Now, of course, he's not really going to burn them, <laughs> thankfully, uh, it's a living sacrifice. Um, but what he's saying is, is, as I minister to people, and as I do my work, and the gospel has an impact on their life and changes them, those people now become an offering acceptable to God. Right? It is my worship, not only because I lay my own body as a living sacrifice in service to God, but now, beyond that, The work of our hands, the activities that we're involved with, has the opportunity to make an impact in a person's life. And when we do that, we offer that person who's eternally changed as an offering to God, an eternal offering, right? And uh, someday we will stand in heaven. And my hope, my, my word of encouragement to all of us is that as we stand before God, we will have an offering to lay on the altar, right? that we will have evidence of lives that we have touched in some way or another that has moved them in faith towards obedience, that has moved them into the gospel, that has helped them to grow and see the gospel uh, penetrate their life. And those people we have touched and we've had some part of will be our offering to God. An eternal worship of praise that... Uh, we offer up to him. And God says, wow, that is pleasing to me. That is pleasing to me. C.S. Lewis says in The Weight of Glory that the thing that all of us are going to long for, 
that, that ultimately the thing that gets captured in the word glory is when we stand before God and we hear these words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He says that is going to be our glory. Right? Well, as we lay our offering on that altar, those will be the words, right? Those will be the words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's why it needs to be gospel-focused. Because the only thing that will bring about and produce that kind of change in a person's life is the work of Christ, right? is the gospel. Um, and here's the deal. You know, a lot of times, and, and, and I wanna, I'm want to be careful here, because it's always good to help the poor. It's always good to help the needy. It's always to be good involved in showing God's kindness. And we should never link those kind of things with how people respond to it. Okay, so what I'm not saying here is that gospel ministry means you go help a poor person, you throw a loaf of bread at them, you throw a gospel track. If they don't receive Jesus, you take the bread back and go to the next guy. Okay, I'm not saying that, right? We should always show God's love and kindness regardless of how people respond, right? Uh, but what I'm saying is that our, our intention, our hope is that through showing kindness, through helping the poor, through rescuing the orphans, through caring for the widows, that we have the opportunity to be a witness to the truth, to proclaim the gospel. What people do with it is up to them, right? And God will not let his word return void. There will be fruit if we're faithful in that task. Um, But what I'm saying is this. If our only purpose is just to help the poor and never take it to the next step, it's kind of like teaching a person who's lost in the middle of the ocean how to swim, right? We come along in our rescue boat and we find a person bobbing up and down in the, in, in the vast and endless ocean. We dive out of the boat and we say, you know, you're going to drown if you don't learn how to swim and float. So I'm going to teach you how to swim and float. And so you spend hours teaching them all kinds of swimming strokes and how to tread water and how to keep their head above water. And you go, you got it. You can float. And you jump back in the boat and you leave them stranded in the middle of the ocean, Right? And, and all it does is delay the inevitable. Now you've given them the ability to last longer before the final death comes, right? Remarkably, that's what a lot of people do, right? They're helping the poor. They're giving them skills. They're teaching them how to have good job traits so they're not prostituting themselves, right? They're teaching them how to swim in the middle of an endless ocean. And they're only delaying the day they sink to the bottom, right? If you have the lifeboat and you can get them out of the middle of the ocean and you don't offer them the rope to get in the boat, you know, are you really loving people? Well, Paul would say no. Paul would say, if I'm going to be a priest of the gospel, if I'm going to offer people up, I must be working to bring them to the true salvation, uh, to get them out of the ocean of despair and death and bring them to the shore of life of God. Um, and what a picture this is, you know, of, of our offering to God, right? And I know a lot of you are working and have worked and are touching people's lives, right? And as you think about those people whose lives you have seen changed by the gospel, you know, I hope, I hope you just get pumped and excited that someday... You know, and even now, those are your offering to God, right? Those are what you offer up to God on that uh, on that altar of praise and worship. Um, 
So that's our mission. Um, second thing that's very important is we have to have the right motivation. And Paul talks a little bit about his motivation. And it may seem a little shocking at first. He says, um, in verse 17, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work. Okay, now for, when I read this, I just kind of cringe. Because this word pride, you know, if you're a Christian... It's like the worst word ever, right? You're supposed to, I'm not supposed to be proud, right? I'm supposed to be humble, right? And I'm not supposed to be proud of anything. And here's Paul going, I, I, am, I have something to be proud of. I have, and only, you know, he says, I have pride in my work. Well, this just, this just unravels me. I don't know what it does to you. But Paul says that. Um, he goes on to say, For I will not venture to speak, of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Uh, first off, he says, in Christ I have a reason to be proud. Right? We're not proud in me. I'm not really proud of what I have done. Ultimately, our pride is based in the gospel, in the work and person of Christ. Right? He says, I have, in Christ I have lots of reasons to be proud of my work. Um, and here's the reason this is our motivation. The truth and the reality is we all want our life to matter, right? Um, you know, if you ever run across a person who says, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they say, well, I don't really care. It doesn't matter. Okay, that's, that's a person who's in serious trouble, right? It needs to matter. And we really talked last week. I won't read the quote again, but the mission statement of Mattel. Remember, Barbie wants to make a difference in the world, Right? That was their mission. We make a difference in the world. Well, why is that important? Well, because people have a sense that my life will have meaning and significance when I am invested in something meaningful and worthwhile. We need that. We need a sense that our life matters, that our work matters, that it does something. Kind of as a joke, you know, when we talk about what could be the most irrelevant pursuit you could think of, you know, we say, well, I, I majored in underwater basket weaving, right? Have you ever heard that expression? Well, what does that mean? Well, it means it's the most irrelevant thing we can conceive of, right? Because it would be just silly, right? Nobody majors, I don't think. <laughs> Somebody's going to go, I majored in underwater. I know. Uh, I've never met anybody, right? And if I did, it would be hard not to say, it's a little irrelevant, right? How, how does it matter? Uh, we need life to matter. Well, that's what this is about. Paul is saying, I can take pride in my work because my work matters. My work is substantial and significant. Uh, why? Well, first of all, because it's in Christ. And second of all, he says that, that, that there's limits to my boasting. He says, I'm not going to really talk about anything except this. What Christ has accomplished through me. Powerful words, right? What Christ has accomplished through me. What is Christ doing in the world? What is God doing in the world? Well, God is saving people. God is bringing his kingdom. God is transforming lives and he's changing hearts step by step by step. It's a lifelong process. God's incredibly patient. He doesn't change us all at once, but he's changing. He is working. He is moving powerfully to overcome sin and death and darkness and to bring people to life, to transform their lives. And Paul says this, I have been invited 
by God to partner with him so that God is now accomplishing his purpose, his mission, through me. It's amazing to me. And if I was God, I would not do it this way, right? I would not look at the group of humanity that he saved, uh, starting with the, the 12 disciples, right, who didn't even get what Jesus was about, and say, you know what? I'm going to do my work in the world through these guys who don't have a clue, who don't get it, right? And that's what, that's what it comes to with us. It is by grace we have been called, not because we're super gifted or talented. It's by his grace. And God says, this is how I'm going to save the world. I'm going to do it through Christ. But the people who are going to mediate, the people who are going to bring the work of Christ through the world is going to be my children, right? And I'm going to send them out, and I'm going to work through them. Wow. And how does he work through us? Um, well, he says, uh, well, we'll get to that in a minute. We'll talk about how he works in a minute. Uh, but he works through us. Right? So you have something to boast about. What, what you have to boast about is what God is doing in and through your life. Right? Um, what do you celebrate? Okay, what do you call attention to and what do you celebrate in life? Uh, the things that we celebrate, the things that we, in essence, measure, right, are the things that, uh, that matter, right? And they're the things that motivate us. Well, here's often how we measure things, because it's easy, right? We measure things by, by, the, by numbers. Uh, we like numbers because they're solid, right? And it's, it would be easy to measure, for example, how many people come to CCF on Sunday morning, right? And we could count, and we could chart it, and we could graph it, and we could show how it goes up and down, and we could say, over the past year, we've grown by 10%. And we could celebrate and that and say, yeah, we've been successful, right? Is that really worth celebrating, though? Does it really take the work of God, in other words, because you have more numbers, does it really mean it's something that God has accomplished? Or does it just mean you're good at marketing and you put on a good show? Right? The truth is, it doesn't take much to assemble a crowd. Right? If you're good at marketing and you have a great uh, capacity to, to market to a consumer mentality, you can have huge crowds. Right? Uh, it doesn't mean God did it. Right? So is it a worthy measure? Um, you could measure, you know, put in your prayer letter how many orphans you rescued. Okay? Now, again, I'm not saying it's not good to rescue orphans. They need help. I'm not saying we shouldn't be trying to rescue as many poor as we can. Right? But is, there, is it hard to get orphans? Well, the truth is, in, in Thailand, apparently, all kinds of people will give you their kids, even if they're not orphans. Right? You'll feed my kids. You'll send them to school. You can have my kids. Right? Not hard. Right? Does it mean God did it? Well, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, we could talk about how many poor we fed. It's not hard. Not hard to find poor people who will take your food. Does it mean God accomplished that? No. We can talk about planting churches. How many churches we planted? Right? Now, this sounds spiritual, because certainly only God can plant a church, right? No. Believe me, no. <laughs> right? And I, I was talking to Imran, who was telling me in Pakistan right now, there's church plants everywhere, right? Every Christian becomes a church planter, right? So everybody who's got a house 
and a Bible becomes a church planter. And he said, because everybody wants to be church planting, right? So everybody's a church planter. You get you and grandma together, you're a church, right? Um, is that what we measure? Well, sadly, often it is, right? And, and, and sadly, the churches in our home countries, that's what they want to hear. They want to hear, well, how many thousand churches did you plant? If you're planting a thousand churches, okay, it's not church planting, right? It's church planting. But, you know, in a year, we planted a thousand. There's a problem, okay? There's a problem. And you should be like, whoa, right? What should we be measuring, right? What should we be measuring? We should be measuring the things that only God could accomplish, right? Uh, out of however many thousand churches you planted, maybe you did plant a thousand, okay? The question is, in those thousand churches, how many lives have been truly changed by the gospel of Christ, right? How many marriages have been reconciled through the power and the gospel of the cross? Uh, how many people have turned from a life of sin and are now walking in a life of righteousness in obedience to the gospel? Right? That's what we should be measuring. Because the truth is, can you change somebody like that? No. Only God can do that. Okay? Paul says, I'm not going to talk about anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. You never see Paul putting up numbers, right? Oh, in Ephesus, 10 churches. <laughs> Antioch, 13 churches. <laughs> never. Corinth, 150 churches. And boy, are they rock and rolling, right? They're happy people there. Never, right? He talks about lives that are changed and impacted by the gospel. That's what we should be celebrating, right? And the reality is that the, uh, the mom who is at home, who is faithfully pouring into the life of her child, who sees one child grow up, who faithfully follows Christ, and who loves God and who understands the gospel, that is powerful. And in God, that may have far more weight and significance than somebody who's planted 10,000 churches that haven't changed a single life, right? Um, you know, pe- people that have, have been set free from the bondage of addictions and brokenness, right? If you've had a, a hand in helping somebody be set free, right? That is powerful. That's what we should be measuring. Sadly, sometimes we can't talk about those things, Right? Because uh, there's confidentiality and things that we can't share. But those are the things we should celebrate. Right? Paul says, I'm not going to talk. Uh, you know, think about what he says. I am not going to talk about anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Right? Um, and there's great pride in this. And we should, we should, we should celebrate those things. Right? And it's great because... Uh, it's a pride that's extremely humble, right? And I, and, I, and I experience this often when many of you have shared encouraging words about how something in a sermon has touched you and God's used it to change something in your life. And I can take a certain pride in that, okay? The pride is not how brilliant my preaching is, right? Because I know that it's not about my words, and oftentimes it's in spite of it. In fact, it's kind of the brilliance of God, People tell me how God has just used my message to touch them, and I'm going, it's not anything I actually said. <laughs> it's not even what I was talking about. <laughs> but hey, that's great. <laughs> and I know it's God working through his word, right, through us. It's not about me. It's about his power. But 
I get to be the priest who's mediating that power. I get to be the channel. We get to be the channel through which the power of God works and operates. And it is my mouth. It is our body. It is our hands that God uses to touch another human being's life. And we partner with God. Um, real quickly, and I'm not going to uh, el- elaborate on these, uh, our methods and our metrics. Uh, Paul says simply this. He says, um, I do this, I do all this, um, it is God who accomplishes it through me as I bring Gentiles to obedience, and it's the obedience of faith in the gospel. And I do it by word and deed, by the power of science and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. What is our method? Well, our method is, first of all, word and deed. Uh, we should be both proclaiming the gospel in word, and we should be living it out with our hands, right? Word and deed. Um, Secondly, those deeds and that word should be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, And Paul talks about signs and wonders. Uh, It means miracles, right? Maybe you've never seen a miracle, nobody raised from the dead. Here's the truth, though. If you have ever seen a person's life changed, right, ever, it's, it's a miracle. It is the supernatural work of God. So if you've never seen a, a blind person get sight, don't feel like you haven't done the miraculous. Because if you've seen a spiritually blind person come to spiritual sight, you have witnessed a miracle of God. That happens only through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we do these things. We speak words. We, we tell truth. We tell our testimonies. We preach the word. We teach. We serve. We do works with our hands. But what gives it effectiveness, right, what is God working through those things is the power of the Holy Spirit. We should be mightily powered by His Spirit. And finally, how do we measure it? Uh, what are the metrics of measuring the success? Well, uh, he says some pretty incredible things here. He says, um, he says they, were, they were convinced by these signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. And in this way, I have fulfilled the gospel from Jerusalem to, to Asia, Asia Minor, right? I have fulfilled the gospel. It's a pretty bold claim, okay? I, I successfully accomplished the gospel, okay? Well, what does Paul mean by that? Well, he didn't preach to every single person from Jerusalem to basically southern Hungary, okay? Big area. Uh, he didn't plant churches in every city or every village. But he was clear about the scope of what God had called him to do, and he felt by the time he wrote the book to the Romans that he had finished the work God called him to. Right? He knew the geographical boundaries, the scope of it, and he knew the end of it. He said, I have taken the gospel to every key part of this region, and that's what God called me to. Now I am released to go to Rome and to Spain. Right? Do you know what it will look like if your ministry is finished? Right? What would it mean if you've completed your job? Uh, it won't mean every person got saved. <laughs> it won't mean that every life has changed, right? But what is the scope of what God is asking you to do? Good question to ask. How do I know when I'm finished, right? So I can go home, or God can take me home, or I can go to the next ministry. Lastly, we should be clear about the focus. Okay, we don't do it for everybody in every context and every setting. Paul says, my ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard, right? rather than where a church has already been started by someone else. I have been following the plans of looking into the scriptures 
where it says, those who have never been told about him will see, those who have never heard will understand. Paul said, I'm a pioneer. The the focus of my gospel ministry is on those who have never heard. Now, does that mean we all have to be pioneers? No, right? Paul talks in other scriptures about those who who built on this uh, on the foundation he laid on those who watered the seed that he planted, right? Others who reaped the seed that was sown. Uh, be clear about what God's called you to. Be clear about the specific focus of what you're about. Are you a pioneer? Are you a discipler? Are you building on somebody else? You know, uh, and stick to that, right? Stick to that. Okay, if God says, I want you to be a builder, you know, you're not a pioneer, then don't go off and be pioneering because everybody says you should be a pioneer, right? We get so swayed by peer pressure, right? Everybody wants us to be, you know, there's all the unreached people groups, and, and somebody needs to be reaching them, and somebody will be called, and God will be sending. But if God didn't call you to be a pioneer, then don't be, right? Know the focus of what God has called you. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.